Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. We have definitely been on a little bit of a summer break recently, but now that med schools are starting back up again and we're gearing up towards the fall, we are back and excited to round out season two of Spoonful of Sugar with some high impact episodes covering important, commonly seen, and commonly tested topics. As always, there is plenty of room for suggestions, so if you have any ideas on topics that you'd like to see covered in our episodes as we finish up Season 2 here, please let us know and we'll do our very best to incorporate them. For today's episode, I'd like to introduce our newest team member, Anisha Reddy, a fourth-year medical student at the Drexel University College of Medicine. In today's episode, she'll be covering the topic of valvular diseases. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors, thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Anisha Reddy. I'm an MS4 at Drexel College of Medicine, and I will be your host today. So, what was the hardest topic you learned so far in med school? If you're thinking cardiology, pathophys, then you're not alone. This tends to be a difficult topic for most medical students. So today I'm going to discuss valvular heart diseases, and I hope to make the topic more understandable and review high-yield clinical pearls for each valvular disease. This episode will be presented in Q&A format, so feel free to pause at any time to think about the questions. So let's get started. First, let's go over some basics. So what does the S1 heart sound represent? The first heart sound, S1, represents the closure of the atrioventricular, which are the mitral and tricuspid valves, as the ventricular pressure exceeds the atrial pressure at the beginning of systole. So S1 represents the beginning of systole. What does S2 represent? That's the beginning of diastole. That's when the closure of the semilunar valves happen, so the aortic and pulmonary valves. And S2 is normally split because the aortic valve closes before the pulmonary valve. On auscultation, how do you know the difference between S1 and S2? When listening to a patient's heart, the cadence of the beat will usually distinguish S1 and S2 because diastole takes about twice as long as systole. There's a longer pause between S2 and S1 than there is between S1 and S2. However, rapid heart rates can shorten diastole to the point where it's difficult to discern which is S1 and which is S2. For this reason, it is important to always palpate the carotid or radial pulse when auscultating. The heart sound you hear when you first feel the pulse is S1 and when the pulse disappears is S2. What's the difference between systolic and diastolic murmurs? Systolic murmurs are heard best between S1 and S2, while diastolic murmurs are heard between S2 and S1. So now let's jump into talking about individual valvular diseases now. Here's a clinical vignette to work through. 70-year-old male with a past medical history of hypertension, hyperlipidemia presents after shortness of breath and syncope while mowing the lawn. Physical exam reveals a systolic crescendo-decrescendo murmur best heard at the heart base and radiates to the carotids. Notable lab on CBC shows a hemoglobin of 8.2. What type of valvular dysfunction does this patient have? If you're thinking aortic stenosis, then you're right. 
It's one of the most common valvular diseases in developed countries, and it's characterized by the narrowing of the aortic valve, resulting in the obstruction of outflow of blood from the LV to the aorta. So what are some characteristics of the murmur? So it is a systolic murmur. What type of sound does it make? That would be a crescendo-decrescendo murmur. And what would you hear in the S2 sound? That would be a soft S2. As the severity of the aortic stenosis increases, the S2 sound diminishes. Where does the aortic stenosis murmur radiate to? That would be to the carotids. And a common association with aortic stenosis is the phrase pulsus parvus eternus. And what does that mean? So the pulses are weak with delayed peak. So if you check the carotids, you will notice a weak pulse. And where is the aortic stenosis murmur best heard? That would be located between the second right intercostal space, otherwise known as the right upper sternal border, and what are some symptoms associated with aortic stenosis? So most patients can be asymptomatic. However, as the severity of aortic stenosis increases, patients can present with, the uh, remember, the mnemonic SAD. So that would be syncope, angina, and dyspnea. So think about an older patient that might have a syncopal episode um, always have aortic stenosis on your differential, especially if you're thinking it's more cardiac related. All right, next question. What is the most common cause of aortic stenosis? So in patients older than 65, you'll see a calcified aortic valve causing the stenosis. If you see a younger person with aortic stenosis, maybe in their 50s, early 60s, think a calcified bicuspid aortic valve. Normally, the aortic valve has three leaflets, but there will only be two leaflets in bicuspid aortic valve. A common association with bicuspid aortic valve is Turner syndrome. Okay, let's go over the pathophys of AS. So what causes the stenosis? Essentially, atherosclerosis can lead to plaque formation and calcium deposits on the aortic valve as the patient's age, and this leads to difficulty in opening the valve. So how does the aortic stenosis impact the left ventricular pressures? Does it increase or de decrease the pressures? If you say increase, that's correct. So the valve is stenotic and blood is not moving as well from the LV to the aorta, causing increased pressures in the left ventricular. What could be consequences of increased left ventricular pressures? So that would be cardiac remodeling leading to left ventricular hypertrophy. And that would cause difficulty for the left ventricular to relax. How would that impact diastole? You're going to have impaired ventricular filling during diastole, and that could essentially lead to left heart failure. So why can symptomatic AS result in angina? So you have left ventricular hypertrophy and a stiff, non-compliant wall resulting in increased oxygen demand and clinically manifests as angina. 
How does syncope manifest in patients with AS? So over time, aortic stenosis results in decreased blood flow to the vertebral, basilar, and carotid arteries, resulting clinically in syncope. In the clinical vignette presented earlier, this patient had an aortic stenosis with a hemoglobin of 8.2. How does AS cause an anemia? So stenotic valves can shear the hemoglobin, causing a hemolytic anemia. What would you see on a peripheral blood smear? And that would be schistocytes. How do you diagnose valvular disorders? That would be with an echo called transthoracic echo, can visualize the opening and closing of the valves, can look at the blood movement that can be looked at if the blood's flowing towards or away from the transducer. So what is the definitive treatment for AS? That would be valve replacement, as it is for all other valvular diseases. So what are the indications for aortic valve replacement? That would be severe aortic stenosis, so you need at least one or more of the criteria that I'm going to present to you. So one, onset of symptoms, so you can have angina, syncope, dyspnea. Two, a left ventricular ejection fraction less than 50%. Or three, undergoing other cardiac surgery, such as a coronary artery bypass graft. All right, our next clinical vignette. You have a 65-year-old man presents to his cardiologist for a checkup. His last appointment was two years ago. Since then, he reports that he has developed significant shortness of breath with exertion and easy fatigability. He has a past medical history of hypertension and coronary artery disease. On cardiac exam, there is a diastolic decrescendo murmur and bounding peripheral pulses. The physician also notices head bobbing. So what's going on here? If you're thinking aortic regurgitation, then you're correct. What are common causes of aortic regurgitation? So that would be dilation of the ascending aorta resulting from hypertension or primary aortic disease, such as Marfan syndrome, tertiary syphilis, Ehlers-Danlos. Could also have aortic regurgitation from aortic dissection or endocarditis. So describe AR. It is characterized by incomplete closure of the aortic valve causing reflux of blood from aorta in the LV during diastole. So where is the murmur best heard? It's heard best at the left sternal border or left lower sternal border. The murmur is characterized as a diastolic murmur. It's high-pitched, so it's a diastolic decrescendo murmur. So what are some other features of AR? You can get head bobbing, hyperdynamic pulses, otherwise known as water hammer pulse, and you would get a widened pulse pressure. And that's really key, the widened pulse pressure. That's a pretty dead giveaway for aortic regurgitation. So what is widened pulse pressure? So pulse pressure is the difference between your systolic blood pressure and your diastolic blood pressure. So, for example, let's say someone has a blood pressure of 120 over 40. So, the difference between systolic and diastolic is 80 there. So, that's pretty wide uh, pulse pressure. 
as normally the blood pressure is like 120 over 80, you would see a difference of 40 in your pulse pressure. Another example would be a pressure of 150 over 50. That's a hundred difference in your pulse pressure. So if you hear a murmur on physical exam, see a widened pulse pressure, think aortic regurgitation. Now let's talk about the pathophysiology of AR. So the blood has a backflow from the aorta to the left ventricle, and this increases your left ventricular and diastolic pressure. So the systolic pressure increases because it's correlated to cardiac output. Cardiac output is increased in AR because increased volume is regurgitated back. Diastolic pressure is related to systemic vascular resistance. In aortic regurgitation, blood can relax and go back into the heart, lowering your systemic vascular resistance and hence diastolic blood pressure. So this is why your systolic blood pressure would be high and your diastolic blood pressure is low, leading to that widened pulse pressure we talked about earlier. Other than valve replacement, how could you medically manage aortic regurgitation? So treatment would include something that reduces afterload. So treat patients with something that lessens the amount of regurgitation. If less afterload, blood has more motivation to move forward and not return back. So afterload reduction would be a lot of your blood pressure medications. You can use medications like ACE inhibitors, ARBs, calcium channel blockers, or hydralazine. So our next vignette. A 50-year-old man presents to his cardiologist for dyspnea and exertion, fatigue, and bilateral lower extremity edema. He reports these symptoms have worsened over the past few weeks. He has a past medical history of rheumatic fever when he was a young adult, and he's currently taking no medications. On physical exam, he is noted to have a hoarse voice. On cardiac exam, there is a diastolic rumble following an opening snap and peripheral edema. So what's going on here? This is mitral stenosis. And what are the characteristics of the murmur? So you'll hear a diastolic murmur with opening snap due to the abrupt halt in leaflet mobility after diastole. If there's a decreased interval between your S2 and your opening snap, that means there's an increase in severity of mitral stenosis. Where is the murmur best heard? That would be at the apex. Let's talk about the pathophys of MS. So would the pressures be greater in the left atrium or the left ventricle? That would be the left atrium. So the mitral valve is stenotic you have blood buildup in the left atrium causing increased left atrial pressures during di diastole and chronic mitral stenosis can result in left atrial dilation and increased LA pressures can cause pulmonary congestion and right heart failure eventually. What's directly behind the left atrium? That would be the esophagus. So as the left atrium continues to dilate in chronic mitral stenosis, the left atrium actually compresses the esophagus. And what would that cause, like symptom-wise? That would be dysphagia. So definitely you could see someone who has mitral stenosis and develops dysphagia as time progresses. 
Additionally, the left recurrent laryngeal nerve is behind the left atrium, so LA dilation can affect the nerve causing hoarseness, as we saw in the clinical vignette I presented earlier. What's the number one risk factor for MS? So your number one risk factor is rheumatic fever, and that's caused by group A strep infection. What is the number one risk factor for AFib? The number one risk factor for AFib is mitral stenosis, and that's because as the mitral stenosis is present, the left atrium dilates as it's pushing against resistance, causing the AFib. And as a side note, this is just a very important point, what anticoagulation has to be used for valvular AFib? So what valvular AFib means, it's the mitral stenosis causing the AFib rather than other causes. And if you see valvular AFib, you have to use warfarin. Okay, next vignette. A 56-year-old male presents to his cardiologist for dyspnea and exertion. He has a previous history of hypertension and ischemic heart disease. He currently takes statins, metoprolol, lisinopril, and furosemide. On physical exam, there's a holosystolic murmur best heard at the apex, a systolic thrill, and an S3 heart sound. So what's going on here? This would be a mitral regurgitation murmur. And what are the characteristics of mitral regurgitation? It is a holosystolic murmur, loudest at the apex, that can radiate to the axilla. What are common causes of mitral regurgitation? So that would be ischemic heart disease. So post-MI, you can have rupture of the papillary muscle. Additionally, ruptured corda tendinae could be a cause in infective endocarditis. How do you make mitral regurgitation murmur louder? That would be by putting more blood in the left side of the heart. And how do you do that? That's by increasing preload. And how can you increase preload? So squatting, going from standing to supine, or bolus of saline can all increase preload. Additionally, the murmur can be made louder through a hand grip maneuver, which increases afterload. So blood will be like, hey, it's harder for me to go forward, so I guess I'll just regurgitate back through the mitral valve. Our next clinical vignette. A 30-year-old female presents to her first PCP appointment. She says she experiences episodes of mild shortness of breath and palpitations. However, it does not impair her activities of daily living. She is otherwise healthy, and on physical exam, a systolic murmur with a mid-systolic click is noted in the fifth intercostal space at the mid-clavicular line. What is the valvular disease? So that would be mitral valve prolapse. And I'll give you another presentation of mitral valve prolapse too. So you have a patient who's 6'5 with hyperflexible joints. They're known to have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And they also have a mid-systolic murmur best heard at the apex with a click. So this is also MVP. So just again to reinforce, so it's a late systolic crescendo murmur with a mid-systolic click best heard over the apex. So what are some common causes of mitral valve prolapse? So your most common buzzword that you'll see on step one, step two would be myxomatous degeneration. 
So that would be a cause of mitral valve prolapse. You could also have connective tissue disease such as Marfan, Ehlers-Danlos. Another important one is autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease. So yeah, remember your genetic causes. There are a ton of causes here for mitral valve prolapse, and it's mostly in younger people. So mitral valve prolapse is also a regurgitation murmur. Why? Because the valve leaflets do not overlap well, so more blood is regurgitating. How do we make the leaflets overlap better? By putting more blood in the left ventricle of the heart, this essentially eases the prolapse and decreases the amount of regurgitant blood. How do you put more blood in the left ventricle of the heart to reduce the intensity of the mitral valve prolapse murmur? So that would be by increasing preload. Remember we talked about squatting, standing to supine, and increased fluid bolus would all increase preload. Or you can increase the afterload by using the hand grip maneuver as more blood will be in the left ventricle. So our next vignette is a 27-year-old male with a past medical history of polysubstance use and IV drug use. He presents with a holosystolic murmur that is more pronounced on inspiration. So what's the murmur? That would be tricuspid regurgitation. And what are some characteristics of the murmur? It is a systolic, high-pitched holosystolic murmur, louder with inspiration, and it's best heard at the lower sternal border. So what are common causes of tricuspid regurgitation? So you'll frequently see the murmur in IV drug users as they inject into their veins. This is an acute endocarditis caused by staph aureus infection. And on echo would see large vegetations that are usually present on the valve causing the valvular dysfunction. So treatment would include antibiotics to treat the acute endocarditis and then you would do valvular replacement. So another cause that is less common for tricuspid regurgitation would be carcinoid syndrome. You'll frequently see the tricuspid insufficiency or pulmonic stenosis. Next vignette is a 25-year-old male who had a syncopal episode while playing sports. He had an uncle who died at age 37 from a heart disease. What is the diagnosis? That would be hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy, otherwise known as hokum. What is the inheritance pattern of hokum? That would be autosomal dominant. And what is the cause? That is mutations in myosin binding protein C and B. Where is the murmur best heard? That is the left lower sternal border. It is a systolic murmur. And it does not radiate to the carotids, unlike aortic stenosis, which it does. Hokum is commonly compared to aortic stenosis because they both can cause syncope. So just remember the differences between the two. So what makes the hokum murmur louder? In hokum, there is a systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve leaflet. This motion causes obstruction as well as regurgitation. So blood not only has to go through a thickened septum, but also through the mitral valve leaflet that is being pulled forward in systole. Essentially increasing the amount of blood in the left ventricle, anything that increases preload and afterload 
would move the mitral valve leaflet out of the way and the symptoms won't be as bad, otherwise decreased murmur intensity. So what are some treatment options? You can use beta blockers, which decreases the heart rate and allows more time in diastole. This will increase the left ventricular volume and symptoms would be less severe. Alright, now I'm going to briefly run through some other high-yield structural causes of murmurs. What type of murmur is a ventricular septal defect? That would be a whole systolic murmur at the left lower sternal border. And remember, VSDs are, are the most common congenital heart defects. So what is the pathophysiology of blood movement through the VSD. So blood flows from high to low resistance. So you'll have blood moving from the left ventricle to the right ventricle when you have that ventricular septal defect. And that's the higher resistant w resistance will be left ventricle, the lower resistance will be the right ventricle. And eventually there's more blood moving through the pulmonic circuit and so pulmonary hypertension will develop and then blood changes in direction from the right to left. So right ventricle to left ventricle. And this causes a certain syndrome called, yep, Eisenmenger syndrome. So what are some symptoms of Eisenmenger syndrome? So you might see a child with cyanosis, so bluish or gray skin color, could have clubbing, large rounded fingernails or toenails, easily tiring and shortness of breath with activity, palpitations, dizziness, or fainting. So what would you hear if someone had an atrial septal defect? That would be a fixed split S2. You hear a split S2 on both inspiration and expiration. The key is both inspiration and expiration. Because normally, remember, S2 is split physiologically during inhalation. So if you hear a split S2 during expiration, think ASD. Now, what if a patient has a loud S2? What should that cue you to think? That would be pulmonary hypertension. How would you distinguish right-sided murmurs from left-sided murmurs? That would be through inspiration. As you take a deep breath in, more blood returns to the right side of the heart, so those murmurs will be more distinct. And let's talk about general maneuvers that increase intensity of murmurs. So this applies to all murmurs except for mitral valve prolapse and hokum. Remember, we already talked about that. So for things like aortic stenosis, aortic regurgitation, mitral stenosis, mitral regurg, your right-sided heart murmurs. Remember, if you want to increase the intensity of the murmur, you do so by increasing preload. How do you increase pre preload? Squatting, increased fluid bolus, etc. Increased amount of blood return to the heart will increase the intensity of murmurs. And remember, mitral valve prolapse and hokum, the murmur actually decreases in intensity as you increase preload. So those are the opposite effects. Right? So things like valsalva, standing, nitroglycerin administration, those will decrease your preload and that would 
increase your intensity of mitral valve prolapse and hokum. All right. And now remember, this is a contrast. So decreasing preload would decrease your intensity of all other murmurs other than mitral valve prolapse and hokum. And what murmurs do you get further testing on? And when I say further testing, I mean order and echo. So any diastolic murmur, no matter how loud, if the murmur is systolic and equal or louder than grade three, and any symptomatic murmur. All right, lastly, I wanna talk about different types of valve replacements. So what are the two different types of valves that someone could get? So one is mechanical prosthetic valve, and the second is biological prosthetic valve. So each have their pros and cons. So the pro for a mechanical prosthetic valve is the valve has a long lifespan. However, one of the cons is it's a lifelong anticoagulation that's necessary to maintain the mechanical prosthetic valve. So patients must be on warfarin for this mechanical valve. And indications for a mechanical valve over a biological prosthetic valve would be if there's younger patients, someone who's previously anticoagulated, such as someone with pre-existing AFib. So the pros for a biological prosthetic valve is anticoagulation is only necessary for three months post-op. And some of the cons would be a short lifespan due to sclerotic degeneration. So with the biological version, you're going to have to replace it every 10 years, while the mechanical prosthetic valve can last lifelong if the person's on warfarin. So indications for the biological prosthetic valve would be older patients and patients with a high risk of bleeding. So someone like in the elderly population, increased risk of falls, increased GI bleeds. So then the biological prosthetic valve would be an indication. And another important one would be women with a desire to have children. So remember, warfarin is teratogenic. So if someone gets a mechanical prosthetic valve and they're still in their childbearing years, like a, a female, then that could potentially sway someone away from mechanical into a biological one, even though they're younger patients per se. All right, so that wraps up our talk on valvular heart diseases. I hope you have a better understanding of this topic now. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Thank you.